0: The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.p-o-r-a-s-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t.com. So if you hear uh, vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye
1: welcome to Poor ass podcast the show that talks about tough shit on a budget with your host veronica porras
2: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poor Ass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about living abundantly while on a budget. Today's guest, I have Grant Ly- Grant Lyon. He has appeared. <laughs> I almost forgot how to pronounce your last name. That's okay. I'm uh, like Lyon or Leon or Leon. I get
1: Leon all the time, so
2: you <laughs> wouldn't be the first. Yeah. So he's appeared on Comedy Central, Comics Unleashed. He's on the sci-fi series, The Movie Show, and he starred in the Amazon Prime feature, Killer Kate. Um, He's also, he's been chosen as a new face in comedy at the Just for Laughs uh, Festival and winning Laughing Skull Comedy Festival. And he was a, a finalist in the Big Sky Festival. He's a contributing writer for the Huffington Post. The film he wrote and starred in, Interview Date, was eligible for a Short Film Academy Award. Welcome to the podcast, Grant. It's been a while.
1: Yes, it has been a long time. Good to see you again. Thanks yeah. for having me.
2: Yeah. So we we met we met um, as comedians in the San Francisco comedy. Um, community. I started in 2005. I think you started maybe a little I bit. I started
1: in, no, I started in 2005 as well. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, we Actually 2006. No,
2: I lie. 2006. Okay. 2006. Well, I was
1: 2005. Because so, <laughs> I will never lie about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> class of 2005. Did you ever yeah. do, um, I went through the comedy college with Curtis Matthews. So that's, that's like my, my path. Cause I needed a class. I couldn't do totally. the, Open mics I was too scared and terrified, so I needed a class, so I went the San Francisco comedy route. Did you ever take a class?
1: I did take a class. Uh, I didn't take one at the comedy college, but I actually started while I was in college at UC Santa Cruz, and through the theater department, UC Santa Cruz had a comedy class. <laughs> okay. uh, and so it was taught by um, uh, a man named Doug Hollaw, who was very. Big in the San Francisco uh, gay comedy scene, but you never really saw him out of that scene. So he wasn't a comedian that a lot of the people in San Francisco knew. But he was very funny and very well loved within his own uh, community, and very well known in that community. And he taught theater, and then also, you know, did stand up on the side and things like that. So he saw, he taught a stand up class on campus, and it was. Uh, it was great. I mean, essentially the class was just write and get up and perform. And he was like, Look, if you're not stealing material, if you're trying, I'm gonna give you a good grade. Because comedy's subjective. And if you're actually putting in the effort and you come in prepared every week, I don't care if you're funny or you're not funny, if you're just trying it, then that's great. And and so it was a really supportive environment. And I do think that that's one of the best things about comedy classes. You know, there have been some times where like comedians have poo-pooed comedy classes and yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. And I don't like that. Um, I don't like it because people take classes in everything else to figure, like, if I am want to become good at knitting, well, maybe I'm going to go take a knitting class. Oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I have no idea what I'm <laughs> supposed to be doing with knitting. And, and I don't know why comedians are like, oh, I'm above a comedy class. I will say I don't think a comedy class makes you funnier or not as funny. I don't think it really does that. But the main thing it does is give you a supportive environment to try it for the first time. And a lot of people need that. A lot of people, like you said, it's like – go into like an open mic at the Brainwash for your first time. I, I wouldn't have, I would have never had the courage to do that. I'm really glad oh. that I had like a sort of slow ramp up to it. And then, you know, at least had a little bit of confidence by the time I went and sign up at the Brainwash. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. And for the listeners, uh, Brainwash was a well-known open mic venue. I think it's, it has since closed yeah like last year or the year yeah before it closed. not too long
1: ago really it was kind of a rite of passage in mm-hmm. the san francisco comedy scene um it to anybody listening if you can imagine a bad open mic anything you can imagine is what is was the brainwash i mean there it was literally a laundromat there were you know, laundry machines going at the same time you're trying to perform. Mm -hmm. There were just crazy people coming in and signing up. So for every like comedian you had that was really trying to get better at comedy, there was a skateboarding clown or something like that (laughs) that just came and performed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it was kind of anybody who's anybody that came up in the San Francisco scene, tried it at one point, you know?
2: I think that particular open mic was going on before it closed like over 20 years. I want to say yeah. 25 years, like the longest open mic cuz open mic venues it's like it's it, they come and go, you know, yeah, they come they come they come and go. Um, especially I mean with gentrification and and just gentrification specifically in San Francisco, a lot of these loved spots venues they couldn't afford it anymore either a a developer was buying it or just the rent kept going up the rent kept going up and they just couldn't afford like a lot of these little was it the dark room was one of them
1: yeah i know Uh,
2: oh have you seen the new pictures
1: no i haven't Uh it's like it's
2: gentrified bullshit it's the whole front is just like hip like some
1: it's, it looked it, like
2: a hipster developer just turned it into like, mm, this is cool now. It's like, no, it's yeah, not. Yeah,
1: totally. I, no, You know, not. I I moved, I left San Francisco like, I think, 10, 10 years ago now. And uh, boy, has it changed in that 10 years, you mm-hmm. know? Where are you at still, now? I'm in Los Angeles. Um, okay. You know, I felt... I felt like I had done what I could do in San Francisco, and so then I moved uh, to Los Angeles for career reasons. But I love San Francisco, and I, I will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, what a great place to like start comedy in, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, for for me, I started comedy in two thousand and six, uh, and wanted to get closer to this state. I was driving to San Francisco like three times a week, and I moved to San Francisco. And then the 2008 financial crisis helped. Mm. And I'm not like I'm still, it took me a long time to, to recover. But that's when for me, the comedy started like dwind, dwindling. And I was just mostly living in San Francisco. And I didn't have roommates at, at the time. I was living by myself. I didn't want yeah. roommates. And I'm living in a studio apartment. And,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: In rent, and I'm in a rent controlled building. But a lot of my time was just like work. And I'm too tired. I became like tired to
0: just go, yeah like, uh,
2: go out. Um, and then um, in 2008, uh, my at this time my sister, and my brother were already living in Portland. And my brother did ask me to move to Portland. Um, his roommate was moving out, but I did not. I had no desire to move. Like I was fine visiting and but something like clicked his mo- roommate was moving out and my brother's like do you still want to see the room I'm like yeah whatever I'm not really married to the idea but something clicked in me to move up here so I moved cool. I, 30 days put in my 30 days it was so quick put in my 30 days like bam moved to San Francisco and two years later or two and a half years later a uh, uh, pandemic happened and yeah, yeah. as you know, like Oregon being Oregon, it's it's pretty weird how they view the mask mandate or the shutdown has been really tr- like troubling. It, like people still don't wear masks even in grocery stores or really other... in Portland. Yeah,
1: that's it, surprising.
2: It, it, to it me. yeah, it took it took a while. It took a slow while. Like other there's this grocery store, um, Green Zebra. Um, they pretty much crack down they're a lot quicker to crack down on like you can't enter without a mask some i did see one incident incident where a person obviously not in his right mind he and he was probably he was he looked he came across drunk and yes he was buying a six pack of beer so he's looked drunk sounded drunk acting drunk buying more alcohol and getting uppity with the register and just saying like you're taking away my you're taking me away my rights and I'm like oh, just but just buy your beer and get the hell out of <laughs> here so but the fred meyer near my place they're pretty slow i mean even though it says you can't wear a mask and i do have security like even in when you're shopping there's still like people with like mask under underneath uh the nose or um stuff, stuff like that. I'm also in a protest hotspot. So all of the protests that were happening, they were mostly happening in downtown, but I'm in Kenton. So the, and then just down the street is the Portland, um, Portland per- police bureau. It's one of their buildings. So a yeah. lot of the protests were happening in there. Okay. Uh, uh, so this was last, last summer. So I got I wasn't even in the protest. I'm in my apartment, but they still use tear gas in a residential neighborhood, and um, we could see. And I'm facing the street where the protests were happening, and the tear gas was um, ignited. So, like, and my brother and I were in my room. We're just looking at the protests, and we see the, you know, the the cloud moving and it was windy too so it was like moving the gas and we thought we were safe because we there was some distance between our window and we're on the second story so I thought we were fine but the um it wasn't the smell it was like by the time it got to our window we couldn't see the smoke but it was definitely um like the fumes, I guess the fumes of the hmm. tear gas came came in our window. And as this is actually uploaded on my on my brother's YouTube, so if you ever want to like see what happened, you see our our reaction, um, and it's an immediate f- effect. So yeah, his eyes were watering, my eyes were stinging, and it was getting into our throats. And we're and this is all recorded. We're like, fuck, fuck, we're like close the window, close the window. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> And And imagine like, and that's you being on the second story away from it. Imagine somebody that's like right next to one of those going off. Yeah. It's terrible.
2: Yeah. And if you go to the Twitter handle of Portland police, it's just a bunch of gaslighting bullshit
0: Mm. and people
2: just like being totally not compassionate and saying a bunch of ignorant stuff. And, um, I remember when I even posted on my Facebook feed about it. And one guy who's, he's on my friends list. He's a police officer, and he and he was saying like, "Oh, it's not that bad," or, you know, saying like a bunch of bullshit, gaslighting bullshit. It's like, it's not good. These aren't even rubber bullets; still cause a lot of damage.
1: I mean, rubber bullets can kill people. They hit you in the right place. They hit you in the temple. They hit you in the, you know, that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. You can die.
2: Yeah, and of course, like it's. I'm and I'm watching this out of my out of my window. And if look, if you look at all the gear, like the you know, the riot police are armed, they're armed and they have full on riot gear, and the protesters like what Mazzovs? So you're afraid yeah. over a little like piece piece of glass and you're already protected. I think like what I saw, because I kept like I kept getting like messages from friends, like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine, and I have saw, and I did see. This is something like my brother pointed, um, and these are like, you know, CNN. I was doing like like major news channels when they show uh, footage of like riot gear because the federal federal agents like did come to to Portland. But here's the thing, like Portland police and our mayor Ted Wheeler, who who is still our mayor. People, he was still he still got elected. He was gassing us long before the federal agents ever did. But that's not mm. the narr- that's not the narrative that these news outlets portray or or tell. You know, they portray Ted Wheeler as the victim. Like he protested with us. I'm like, what the fuck? Like this yeah, fucker yeah. has been gassing us even before do the you, federal agents came.
1: Do you like Portland
2: overall? Um it's pretty racist, but it's like passive aggressive racism.
1: Yeah. I've heard heard that about it. It it has so little diversity Mm -hmm. in Portland too, right?
2: Yeah. So the the flavor that I get is it's very much uh, when it comes to racism, like a don't ask, don't tell kind of mentality. Mm. It's too triggering to talk about. And I even get this. This even comes up or I experience it in my own recovery community. Cause it is a mostly white recovery uh, community yeah. and, and the aspects like as a person of color in recovery, there are certain aspects that a white person in recovery just won't experience. Like our access to recovery is not equal. Mm. You know, when people yeah. talk about rehab or spending money for rehab, it's like, okay, awesome for you. That's norm. That's not a typical norm normal experience the person of color accessing recovery gets to like some do yeah. i'm not saying like none of them do like some do but when it comes to resources financial resources the 12 step community is the most budget friendly and and it's part of the disease in my experience like racism is part of the disease of being affected mm. uh, by either drugs or addiction or i'm i'm i i'm in recovery from the friends and family perspective and you know people don't come into the rooms automatically accepting and it's part of the disease mm. but if you yourself or the flavor of the fellowship thinks it's an outside issue then that's problematic because mm. it's affecting my recovery and if it's affecting your recovery you can't talk about it like in my experience so even within the even within the recovery community that I'm in it's um, it's a hard topic to, to talk about even when yeah. you're healing from racism. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and, um, there's this one podcast, um, in, in recovery, this podcast called in recovery, I'm going to butcher her last name. I don't even want to attempt it cause I don't want to like disrespect, but this podcast called in recovery and she has an episode, that links racism to addiction and everything that she was talking about. I was like, like, yes, yes, spot on, spot on. So, you know, unless you are a person of color who have like experienced like generational alcoholism compounded, compounded with generational systematic racism. Yeah. um, It makes sense. It totally makes Mm. sense. And she talks about like resources and healing from that. And, um, so I do come from, that. I do come from a family where I was definitely affected. I have internalized racism and it's, it's even within like Mexican culture, like white, white passing Mexicans were favored than dark passing or not dark passing, like darker Mexican or, you know, skin, skin tone. And, yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I was in uh, a, thing. yeah, oh, totally. I, I remember I was in Brazil and the lighter your skin in Brazil, the much more, uh, the better you're treated, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it was something that I didn't realize right away. And then I started noticing and I talked to some actual Brazilians and it's crazy how much of a dichotomy there is just based on your tone of skin, not even your skin color, but the skin tone, you know, it's pretty crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, since, since George, specifically like since George Floyd and um, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And since then I've been talking to other people of color in the rooms and um, uh, pers- POC person of color, recovery spaces have since started so cool. from, from May, yeah from May to now there's been like an explosion of POC spaces across the board like across the 12step community universe like all the A's, all the anonymous A's there's all you will find like a person of color focus particular meeting for the particular fellowship that you're uh, looking for. So I've been going to, um person of color focus meetings and and the subject matter that is talked about there, like it's not an outside issue. It's this is definitely part of our experience trying to recover. And when we go to p- predominantly white spaces, um, and I have this experience and I'm listening to other people's share, it's like this systematic shutdown or you know, using, Oh,
1: yeah. White people are uh, pretty good at minimizing stuff. (laughs) We are pretty good at minimizing.
2: (laughs) You said that, not me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know it.
2: But, uh, yeah, it's minimizing and gaslighting passive aggressiveness, microaggression under the guise of um, unifying. Unifying. Mm. And I'm coming from the perspective of, like, uh, I I know I'm not terminally a, unique. That's something that's been communicated or shared in the rooms, this terminal uniqueness. I'm the only one that suffers. I'm not saying that. I'm saying here's my perspective. And I've noticed um, that wh- when it comes to in my experience, trying to recover in a predominantly white narrative space, when I talk about things that make fellow Caucasians uncomfortable, like f- they fucking hate that. Like anything <laughs> to well, not be I'm not do. used to
1: being uncomfortable, <laughs> you know.
2: And it's That's... like, welcome to my Tuesday. Welcome yeah, to yeah. my Tuesday. I have been uncomfortable, generational. Yeah. Like in this, sure. like everyone's, everyone's uncomfortable. Like I, I get that. But when I, when it comes to like sharing my own experience and it's like, why are, it's like you're suddenly, you're suddenly making it about, about you. Yeah. That's part of the disease too. Like the self-centeredness and making it about you. Like if I'm sharing my racism, I'm just sharing my racism and how I've been affected and this is, these are the tools that I'm using to, to recover. And yeah. your job is to just sit there and be uncomfortable for three yeah. minutes, three minutes. Cause it's three minute shares. Like some meetings are timed and if you can't handle being uncomfortable for three minutes, like talk to your sponsor, do an inventory.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, just, just be comfortable being silent too. I think a lot of people, uh, aren't comfortable being silent.
2: Yeah. Hi, um are you are you in recovery
1: no uh i um have been lucky um that um i have never really had any substance abuse i i i think um i just wasn't born with that gene you know that uh i'm i'm probably a, a pretty good person at everything in moderation and sometimes that's uh like almost my roommates make fun of me because, uh, I'm pretty measured all of the time, you know, like I, it means that, um, you know, not just in alcohol consumption or things like that, but just sort of everything I'm, I'm pretty like even keeled, mm-hmm. um, which is a, you know, a nice way to be. And I, you know, I don't really have it running in my family or anything like that too. I, you know, I think that one of my great uncles was an alcoholic uh, my mom has talked about that but I didn't really know him very well and things like that so I I haven't dealt with it too much in my own life
2: Yeah that's well, cool I I mean yeah. I'm cur- I'm curious I I um you're my first normie i guess on the, oh really on, on the pod on the podcast
0: but, did you, you just, know, just
1: like, ask me because you were like I, I he must have something all right <laughs> I, I, he's gonna have some some uh abuse problem
0: i mean you are
2: in are uh, com- uh, you are in comedy um the comedy yeah. community has a lot of broken people and i say that lovingly for sure
1: no no yeah. i think that's weird i mean i've even i i've said this before that Sometimes I, I almost feel like um, guilty that I'm a comedian because I'm like I'm not a, a lost soul. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I like who I am. I'm pretty comfortable with life and myself and, and that sort of stuff. You know, I I don't know. Like I, uh, I I'm. Sometimes I feel like do I do I have a right to be a comedian? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not dealing with something like that uh, when I know a lot of my friends are.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, The running joke, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult child of alcoholic. So that has, that has stuff. And, and when I talk to other recovering adult children, we make this joke, like, like uh, coping with the pandemic. It's like our, our coping skills that we learned in the alcoholic home, they're being, they're applicable in mm. in the pandemic, and I find that to be true true to an extent. Like, um, I block out a lot of a lot of things when I saw when I saw I I, I could do I could pretty de like de um what's the word uh compartmentalize compartmentalize yeah pretty pretty good and keeping like the event and the situation from in integrating with each other like too too soon. Um, so I do find that useful in, in a, in a pandemic, but as a normal person, like how, how are you doing in this pandemic?
1: Um, I've felt fairly good. Um, all things considered. I mean, obviously it's a frustrating time for a lot of reasons, but, um, I've been grateful, you know, I, again, like I say, I'm fairly well adjusted. Like I've been keeping a gratitude, I keep a gratitude journal, uh, every morning and I just write down something I'm grateful for every morning. And I've been doing that for five years. So the pan pandemic didn't change that for me, you know? Um, I think one of the things that, um, the pandemic really provided was space to work through things. So my girlfriend um, that I had had for about a year broke up with me last April. So like oh kind of like a month into the pandemic. And if this had been the before times, I might've not dealt with it in a super healthy way. Um, in 2016, I, I was like living with a lady and we were, uh, you know, even talking about getting married and all that sort of stuff. And, and then um, we broke up and uh, the, six months or nine months or whatever after we broke up, I was a real maniac. I mean, that was that was a time where I was probably drinking the most at any time in my life. And I was sleeping with anybody who was willing. And I was just, you know, just trying not to be alone. Right. You just don't want to spend a night alone or whatever, because I was real bummed out. Um, And eventually, I settled down and I started working through whatever feelings uh, I had and um and one of the things that the pandemic did is you know this this next girlfriend this was my next girlfriend since that one that ended in 2016 if if it hadn't been for the world being shut down maybe I would have done the same thing again you know maybe I would have been drinking and partying and and sexing and all that sort of stuff but because all of that stuff was off the table I really just had to sit in it and work through it. And you know, that first month after we broke up, I did a ton of just walking around my neighborhood, walking, thinking, writing in a notebook, all that sort of stuff. And and I felt like I moved past the grief a lot quicker than I otherwise would have because I had the space to give it some attention. I think so much often, you know, we we don't want to give this stuff that hurts attention, right? Because it hurts, you don't, you kind of ignore it and you push it away and you fill your hours with something else. But when there was nothing else to fill my hours with, I just kind of had to (laughs) deal with it head on. And it's a good lesson for later on. I mean, I, I think it was a lot healthier of a way to deal with it. Um, ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and, and and I feel like I probably learned a lot more lessons than I would have otherwise, too, and did more growing as a human being because of that.
2: You You, you mentioned something that really caught my attention. I had to make a note on it. And this is a show that talks about living abundantly while on a budget. You know, during those times, the before times, on how you process the breakup. You know, sleeping with people because you didn't want to be alone. You didn't want to be alone, and like the drinking. Like drinks aren't aren't cheap. I don't know if you That's were <laughs> drinking at, drinking in at home, but it's whether you're buying ac- alcohol from the store and taking it home, or you're going to the bar and buying drinks that that way. And like, you know, the emotional toll that it takes. Like it actually you know, just hearing you, it take it. It costs more. It costs more money when you don't face your trauma.
0: Yeah. I how think much money did you true. save?
2: Like, how much money did you save processing this r- most recent breakup?
1: I mean, I'm sure thousands of dollars, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was one of my roommates where, you know, I, the day, the day she broke up with me, I was like, I need a drink. And one of my roommates just said, man, is that going to help anything? And I was like, oh, you know, you're right. And so I didn't drink at all until I – then, you know, I didn't drink at all until I was like, I'm having a drink because I want to have a drink, not because I'm sad,
0: Mm. right? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I'm somebody that, like, is a real beer snob. I like beer a lot. Um, But beer is – I'm like a foodie, but with beer, you know what I mean? It's not really about the getting drunk. I plenty of times have one, maybe two in a night and that's it. And it's more just about the trying the different, I love going to breweries and getting a flight and trying the different things and see what people are doing differently. And what, what, what big swing did you take? What miss did you have? Like that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so last year, you released a comedy album like right when pandemic ha- yep. ha- happened. So came out March 24th, 24th and Portland, well, Oregon went into lockdown March 14th, uh, 20, 2020.
1: I, I think California was maybe March 16th. I feel like maybe it
2: was, I can't remember af- after that. So the world stopped and you had so this- like
1: a week, oh. a week before. And this is how naive we were, uh, is, my, I was supposed to have two album release parties, one in Los Angeles uh, and one in San Francisco, and they were three weeks apart. My Los Angeles one was March 24th. I think my San Francisco one was like April 14th. Yeah. And so I, I canceled the Los Angeles one and was literally, without any irony, was like, well, at least I'll still get to do my San Francisco one. <laughs> like, three weeks, <laughs> we'll be done with this in three weeks, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And now here we are a year later, and I uh, and I still haven't done, like, a live show in, like, a year pretty much. Yeah. Uh,
2: How upset it- were you when that happened?
1: Man, very, very upset. Uh, you know, I think the reason I so, – there's a lot that goes into recording and releasing an album and a, a lot goes into setting a release date with your label and all that sort of stuff. So March 24th was in motion long before the pandemic hit. And it was, the train was too far down the tracks to to stop. You know, it was like, well, this is still coming out March 24th. But when I finally made the decision to cancel, you know, I kept holding off on like canceling the album release parties because I was hoping and I was hoping and then you know I just felt like well I mean I have to cancel this cuz the world looks vastly different now and and that was when it really hit me I think was canceling the album release parties and I and I I broke down crying um and the reason I was crying was not because of canceling the album release party, it was because of that was supposed to be my celebration of all of the shitty things that I had to do for the last 10 years to make that album a reality, right? Mm -hmm. This album release party was for Every time I took a 5 a.m. flight because I couldn't afford anything better. It's it's for every time I bombed in a casino in Iowa. It's for every time that somebody told me I should go kill myself because I'm not funny. It's for all of those things. It's all of that heartache and all of that frustration and these sacrifices. I mean, I don't think that people, people that haven't done comedy don't realize how much it asks of you emotionally, Mm -hmm. right? Where you just, you just get beat up over and over and over again. And you keep coming back because the times when it's good are so good that you want to do it again. But man, there are a lot of bad times too. And, and it felt like, it felt like, All of those decisions, in the moment of canceling the release parties, it felt like all of those decisions I'd made for the last ten years were were for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, if if those didn't lead me to this like celebration of all of the work that went into making this album a reality, then what's the point? And I just, I don't cry very often. It's not something that. I, well, I should say I cry a lot when it comes to like movies and and music, but I don't cry that for stuff in my life very Mm. often. Uh, and yeah, that was like, well, I just like wept, you know? Oh, Uh, so
2: how'd you pick yourself up?
1: You know, I think one, having good friends that are like, dude, you still have an album that's coming out. Um, and you know, sometimes for me, even when it comes to a bad show or whatever, I I need 24 hours to, to be sad, to mourn, to, to be upset. And then, you know, then the question is, well, do I love doing this? Yes, I do. So then move on to the next thing, right? You get 24 hours to mourn and then you got to move on to the next thing. And so... Uh, you know, part of it was, I'm going to be real upset for 24 hours. And now what's the way I could do like an album, um, release party digitally. Maybe there's something else I can do. Cool. Maybe there's something, a different way to do this. And so I ended up doing a, a digital album release party that I, I feel like I'm very proud of. Uh, and I think it's like a really cool, different original thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a uh, basically what i did was i asked a ton of my friends um my favorite part about album release parties is is you get a few of your friends to perform and you know they they get up and they 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 tell jokes but then they also talk about you maybe they tell an embarrassing story about you maybe they talk trash about you maybe they say something really nice about you uh and i was like well i could still do that that's my favorite aspect of an album release party so let me do that digitally And I asked a ton of my friends to just make a video talking about me and and said, You can do anything. You can make fun of me. You can be mean to me. You can be nice to me. You can do whatever you want. That is a lot of freedom.
2: That is a lot of freedom.
1: (laughs) And so my album release party essentially was me coming on saying, This is what I'm doing. Then I played a clip of a comedian and then did their video talking about me. And so then there were a bunch of comedian's clips and and sort of roasts of me and then at the end you know i did a five minute clip of myself or whatever to headline the album release party
2: oh my god that's amazing that's so fun
1: yeah so that's the thing it's right you you you're allowed to be sad for however long you need to be sad for and Mm -hmm. then pick yourself back up and figure out what's the next thing because there's always the next thing and there's always something out there waiting for you if you're willing to go find it
2: are you getting better at, at crying? Like some, some, uh, I, I interviewed or, um, uh, Sam, Sam, Sam Wilkie, he's, he was on an episode on the podcast. We deep dived into emotions and I, I had a lot of questions and we did do a lot of discussion specifically like how men or, or cis male identified like processing feelings and emotion and since the pandemic, I've noticed, I have noticed a, a shift in the collective of honoring that, that it's not shameful. Mm. I mean, how, oh, that's great. So how have, um, I mean, like in, in processing, you're allowed to be sad, like, what's your process? Have you found safe people to be so raw and vulnerable and feel safe?
1: Yeah. I mean, one, I've been, I've been going to therapy for like six years, uh, straight. So that's a great place to be able to do that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I'm very close with my family and, uh, my sister, I have two sisters that I can talk to my brother. I can talk to a lot, you know, I mean, we're lucky that, um, we grew up in a family that is willing to talk about things, you know? So if I'm having problems, I can always call them and, and talk through stuff. And, and you know, I think particularly, I don't know what it is, but particularly it's like my brother and I process by talking stuff out loud, you know? It's like you just, I just need to talk through some stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's a fairly healthy way uh, to do it. But that's cool to hear that, you know, I still... Um, my roommates still make fun of me because I'm definitely like the emotional guy of the house, right? I am the one that is like (laughs) willing to cry at things and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, they're like, man, this is the dad pad. You know, we call our, we call our house the dad pad because we have a lot of dad energy, even though none of us are dads. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dad pad. How funny.
2: part of your um re- release party that got canceled you ordered personalized M&Ms <laughs> so yes, I, I did what what's your plans for them and i i thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about personal personal M&Ms personal milestones and memories
1: <laughs> nice uh well you know i I wanted to do something fun, like unexpected for the album release parties, right? It's, you know, everybody's expecting the show. Everybody's expecting like, you know, albums and posters and things like that. So I was like, what's something else I could do? So I, I, I spent like $160 on this, like way too much. But I got a five pound bag of custom M&M's with my name and album title on them. And I was like, I can throw these out at the crowd during the shows and like, you know, be like a, be like a, a a talk show host. It's like, look under your chair, (laughs) M&M's, and just Mm -hmm. like throwing them out. And then I, after everything got canceled, now I've just been stuck with this huge bag of M&M's and I didn't open them for a year. I didn't, I didn't touch them at all. And now I was like, well, I got to do something with them. And what's some, dumb stunt that I can do with this bag of M&Ms. So I've decided to eat one a day and take just like a quick photo or video for five years. I'm going to eat one a day out of this bag for five years and then do a whole time lapse of five years of eating M&Ms. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love it. So, yeah. what, what, five years from now? So in 2025, yep. you're going to release That's- the time lapse? Yeah. Video. Yeah. Yep. That's right.
1: So it's a real big commitment. And then after I committed to this, one of my roommates looked it up, and he was like, "Man, after you decided to do that, I was wondering how long do M and M's last for." And the internet um, says that once you open them up, they last for six months outside and 12 months if you put them in the freezer and i was like well i got four years of eating bad m&ms then
2: (laughs) oh my god yeah wow Uh (laughs) uh-oh
1: we'll see Oh. We'll see how it goes. <laughs>
2: Hopefully it's a, oh it's a fun, silly thing. Yeah, okay. Hopefully you don't die in this endeavor.
1: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> you know, once he said that to me, I was like, it's only one a day. How sick can I get from one? Even if it's bad, I'll be all right.
2: <laughs> bad Bad trip. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: one
1: wow. a day. <laughs>
2: uh, you also did a movie interview, interview date. And actually, yeah. I remember that... Oh, like early production and like film filming it. Uh, um, how I haven't seen it yet. Is it, where can I see it? It's on my YouTube channel, uh,
1: okay. which is just uh grant lion L Y O N. Uh, so yeah, you can go on there and, and, uh, see it. It's like a 12 minute short film, but, uh, it won a bunch of awards screening a bunch of comedy. I mean, uh, movie festivals and all that sort of stuff, film festivals and, uh, yeah it's really fun it's uh one of the best things i've i've done in in my career i I can definitely look at it and go like yeah this was a real solid thing there have been plenty of things that i've made and you know five years later i look back and i'm like maybe take that down (laughs) you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. but this is one that holds up Uh uh, for sure
0: well
2: um I wish I had time to like see it so I could talk about it. I feel like just pausing this podcast so I could watch it really fast <laughs> and come back. But okay, hey. Um <laughs> for the listeners, um, I'm not a journalist.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's laughs> I just all have right.
2: conversations with people that I find interesting or reconnect with comedians that I haven't seen in in a while. Uh, but okay, interview date, what um What was the process that went to it? Like, what was the uh, premise that led you to making Interview Date?
1: I don't know if you remember, but I had a a little sketch group in San Francisco where we were making sketch videos and you were even in one of our sketch videos. I was. Yes, you were. (laughs) When when did did this? Oh, my God. We this was this? probably 2009, 2010, something like that. <gasps> was that Me, with Sal
2: Kalani? Sal Kalani. Oh, shit. Uh, I re- yeah. Okay. I was like, okay, yeah. And uh, K- K- Kabir, right?
1: Yep. Oh, Kabir fuck. wasn't in the group, but he was in that video. That in that you were video. At. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. I wore the prom dress.
1: Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> okay.
2: I do remember now. I was like, that was fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we were making a bunch of dumb sketches and a bunch of those. Some of those I look back at, I'm like, these are funny. And some I look back at, I'm like, boy, this was rough. Uh, <laughs> but we had an idea. Uh, one of the other guys that was in the sketch group was a guy um, named Mike Lemke, who was a stand up in the Bay Area, who um, doesn't do stand up anymore. Um, but we had this idea and we were like, you know, this is not a sketch. This needs to be more than just a sketch. And the premise was, what if a blind date gets mixed up with a job interview? So everybody goes to the right place at the right time, but ends up meeting the wrong person. You know, and so it's <laughs> it's just a lot of double entendre where, you know, mm-hmm. people are like, you know, i I, I, I I want to, I want to work hard for you. And everybody's like, what, why? You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Uh, okay. And
1: so, so Mike and I, you know, wrote a 12 page script or whatever, a lot longer than a, a sketch. And, uh, and we submitted it. I was like, you know, let's submit it to a couple of screenplay competitions just to see what we have. I have no idea if this is any good. I've never written a short film before. So we submitted it to a few screenplay competitions and it ended up winning one of them and getting second in the other. And we were like, Oh, this is good. We need to like actually make this well
0: wow. or whatnot. Wow. So, yeah.
1: yeah. So well,
2: how, how do you protect, um, you know, living on a, on a, on a budget? Like how, how do you protect your livelihood in that and creating the, the the screenplay and copywriting it
1: yeah I mean you know obviously with the entertainment business there's risks when it comes to any intellectual property it's very hard to protect intellectual property but if you also don't take risks you're not gonna get anything right mm-hmm. and so you just gotta trust that the people that you're dealing with are on the up and up uh, and you know you do the right things that you copyright your script and you, um, get it registered at the library of Congress. And, and, um, and you know, there are a bunch of people that know that you're doing this, uh, but you still have to like take risks. And, you know, I've always thought when it comes to that sort of thing, one of the things I try to think about is that like, we don't live in a day and age anymore where one thing makes anybody's career. It just, you know, there, 30 years ago when there were three networks, if you got onto the couch at Carson, you were like a big time comedian, right? That made no. your career, oh, but there's for,
2: nothing for the listeners, uh, the couch and Carson to the millennials or the Zillennials le- le- that are listening. Um, uh, Johnny Carson was a, a late night television host. <laughs> um, he had a spot for comedians, um, Seinfeld, uh, all the big, big shots. If you did Carson, and you were good enough, according to him, he would invite you to the couch, and the couch was a couch next to his desk, and you would sit on it, and, and he would talk to you. And yeah. That and was, was a that was a big deal. That was a big was deal. It was, like, the
1: biggest deal for comedians, yeah. and it meant that, like, if you got invited to the couch, everybody knew that you were a made person. Yeah, yeah. And, and there is nothing, there's just too many outlets now, there's too many there's too much white noise that that doesn't exist. Everything is just stepping stones. And so if somebody steals an idea, whether that's a joke or a script, that sucks. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to anybody, but that's also not your only idea, you know? And, and to me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be mad, but I also have other ideas. So now it's time to like, Move on and focus on a different idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Did you see you know? Dave Chappelle's like 15 minute spot on like Unforgiven or yeah Unforgiven where he talks about he talks a little bit more into detail about uh, how the networks that he was talking to uh, the contracts that he would sign sign uh, they're purposely set up where legally they can take your livelihood. So he wouldn't did you see it? Have you seen it? It's Mm. really good. It's uh, talking about like, you know, protecting your your livelihood. And he, he tells like two stories, like pretty significant stories about stealing a man's uh livelihood. And um what I really what I really liked about it because like um so you know, HBO told him to go fuck himself, like in so many wor- words, because he did yeah. pitch. He did pitch Chappelle show to HBO, and mm. HBO was like, "Why would we? Why? Like, we're, like really rude about it. Like, if you're gonna reject mm. someone, I get rejection, but don't be a fucking dick about it." But HBO. <laughs> HBOs were dick, uh, dick to Dave Chappelle, and then he pitched it to Comedy Central, and Comedy Central like picked up, and so of course Chappelle's show like exploded. La la la, blah blah blah, that all happened. You know, fast forward, fast forward, um, he's working with Netflix now, and so uh, Netflix and HBO Max like both uploaded Chappelle's show without telling him. And he's not getting like paid for it. Mm. And so he tells his fan base, like, don't like cancel, like cancel. Like, don't watch my show. Like, and it worked. Really? Because that's how they keep track. If they upload into their platforms and people are downloading and downloading, that's how they make their, their money.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: By the downloads. So now they're back up, but they're paying him now.
1: Oh, interesting. As far as
2: I as far as I know, but it it worked. So, I when I found I when I saw Chappelle's Show like on HBO because I have HBO Max. I was like oh, I'm like, "Oh, yay." And then I find out like he, they're not paying him I'm like that's not cool. So I stopped yeah. I stopped watching it until something happens or they're paying him now. Good. And good for you. They're, they're they're paying him. So that's like, you know, when it comes to protecting like protecting like your, your livelihood. Yeah. You
1: have to, you can't be afraid to like take a stand. You know I mean? There, there definitely is like, we all have to, in the entertainment business, you got to draw some lines in the sand and say, this is what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. And I don't care who you are. I'm not willing to do this because that's, that's that I know my own worth, right? You have to, you have to know your own worth. I mean, that's one of the hard things with comedy is there is no union. There is nothing like that. So there's no agreed upon pay scale. And so you have to just for yourself say, I'm not doing shows unless I get paid this amount or something like that because I, I've i been working for too long and I, and I know – The experience that I have and the things that I've done are worth this.
2: Yeah. And you know, when I was I'm still fairly new, you know, I'm I'm not like a big old like headliner, but still like I that is very true. Like know your your worth when I'm doing I've done like like independent productions, you know, small ass budget where uh they don't pay the actors, but they're paying the crew or the camera Mm. guy. And I I um, w- was able to negotiate. Like, do you have fifty bucks? Like, yeah. that's that's like that's you know some groceries. You know, in in the scale of things, when you're looking at your expenses, like, how much is my phone? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna charge my phone. Like, how the the amount of money it costs to pay for my phone. That's how much I'm gonna cost a, a charge this independent company because I need my phone on. So I was able to negotiate like a fifty dollar day rate. And it was like a two day thing. But then the, the person, I'm not gonna name the production, uh, they didn't wanna pay me anymore. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I signed a contract. Like, I, I did sign a contract that did, they did agree to pay me like 50 bucks a day. And I was like, well, I signed a contract. And um, if you don't, I want, if you're n- not able to uh, pay me anymore, to do this film, I'm like, I did sign the contract. So they, I was like bought out <laughs> for 50 okay, bucks. Nice. So they paid me a hundred dollars for not showing up.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Cause I signed yeah. a contract. I did sign a contract that they would pay this money for my services. Um. So any, anyone like someone has 25 bucks. Someone has 50 bucks. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, like I it's don't,
2: yeah, I don't believe that line if they're saying like, oh, we can't pay act- actors. I mean, they may not be able to pay you like an A-lister type salary. Yeah, but that's the
1: thing. <laughs> I mean, just, I don't think that people realize how much just anything because you're attaching some worth to it. Even if you say, look, I know that you deserve more than this, all I have is $50, but I, it's important to me that you get something. Then that makes a huge difference where it's like, okay, you are valuing me. You yeah. know, you're not just taking advantage of me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, especially when it comes to independent productions, like I know, I know they, they don't have a lot of money, but like you said, it's like, Hey, like any little bit, any, anything really helps, especially when you're starting, when you're starting out and you're building a resume it's like yeah, like twenty five bucks for for your independent film, like totally, like cool. It's yeah. It's a motivator, a motivator for me because I'm gonna put um for twenty five bucks, I'm gonna put like we did that in comedy, you know, the little yeah, shows yeah, that we sure. would, we would do.
1: Yeah, but you know when I'm not expecting to get paid at a show, and then at the end of the night they give me ten bucks, like
2: that's fun. That,
1: that makes <laughs> so that makes it. I mean it's. That $10 that feels way more than it is, you know? Because it's like, oh, you're thinking about me. You are thinking me and wanting to thank me.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I did. When I moved up here in Portland, I started so a sober show. And I I have it on my website that um, only the headliner and the host gets gets paid. Um, mm-hmm. I don't disclose, like, exactly um, how much I, when I converse, I tell them like how much, but I also ask like, you know, don't tell other people like how much you're getting, getting paid. Cause this is, this is my budget. This is how much you're getting, getting paid. And it's like, cool, yeah. cool or, cool. or whatever. So it's like, I, cause I wanted to make a point that I do, um, with the budget that I had, like the host gets paid and the headliner gets paid.
0: Yeah. Nice.
2: Um, that was fun, and then and then pandemic happened. I had I had a venue. I mean, like yeah, I did have a venue, a new venue for my new st- sober show. Is at it was at this community, um, four D community center, and it, it's a specifically a community center that um that services the recovery community within the like eighteen to thirty five range. So y- you go in there; it's very like you youthful and like. Recovery youth, like um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like Cocaine's Anonymous or any type of any type of a like that deals with addiction, addiction and and alcohol alcoholism, but also other things. Other, you know, um, community groups go there and provide like support or whatnot. But it's like it's a community center like just any other yeah. community center, but it has a specific focus on like recovery youth and that was going to be the new venue for Mm. for a sober show and it was like a perfect um like a perfect like venue and then um yeah pandemic happened so
1: yeah this has changed a lot in our lives for sure yeah
2: yeah um are you vaccinated
1: i've got my first shot How how was it oh it was great uh you know i it, my arm was sore from getting the shot, but that's it. I didn't feel any other side effects, uh, and I have my second shot um, in like two and a half, two and a half weeks, something like that. Okay. So I'm excited, you know. And you just there is sort of an immediate uh, sense of relief too, right? Where you're like, okay, like we're not done yet, but. I can finally see some light at the end of the tunnel. I I don't know when we're going to be done, but I know that we're going to be done with it at some point now. (laughs) Whereas before it just kind of felt never ending,
2: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
1: I'm very excited about it.
2: Cool. Um, So we're coming to the end of the episode and I'm doing, I'm doing this new thing with guests uh, um, asking my guests. So I'm going to ask you like, what's your, what's your favorite? Well, I'm still playing around with it. So you're still in the experimental question, but I uh, like, what, what do you like to do on a budget?
1: What do I like to do on a budget? I love playing board games and there are a ton of board games that are very cheap to buy. And I, you can recommend, I I can recommend a ton uh, to people, you know, you can get a board game for 20 bucks. And one of my favorite things to do, get a board game. That's not like all card related, you know, get one that has like a board and some pieces, take it to a park, take a picnic and like bring uh, bring some food, bring some drinks to the park, sit there and enjoy the sunshine and play a board game. That was one of the main things I was doing during the pandemic. You know, I there were a couple of times where I was like, well, I'm not comfortable meeting with people inside, but I will go to a park with you and sit on a blanket and play a board game with masks on. <laughs> I so love it was really great where you're like, you're not spending much money. You're not, you know, you're getting to enjoy company. You're getting to enjoy uh, the sunshine. I think it's a really great thing to do.
2: Cool. And you actually, before we leave, you got to talk about curmudgeon. What is it?
1: Oh, yes. So for everybody listening, I'm a big uh, board game geek. uh, And so (laughs) that's one of the reasons board games came to my mind right quickly when you said, what do you do (laughs) on a budget? But uh, I do also have a board game that I designed uh, in stores now. Uh, It came out in November. It's called Curmudgeon. Um, It's sort of like Mad Libs for silly insults. Uh, So it's it's a party game for anybody. If you're creative, I think that you'll like it. I think it's a great game for any creative people, because you basically just get to throw crazy words together and make up an insult and throw it down on another player. And Mm -hmm. it just goes back and forth. And it's all about creating those funny, memorable moments, not really about who wins the game.
2: Oh, I love it. Is there a, a digital version of curmudgeon?
1: There is. There's a thing called Tabletop Simulator, um, which is a big online platform for playing games. And uh, Curmudgeon is on Tabletop Simulator.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So it's on table, Tabletop Simulator.
1: And I'll, yes. I'll
2: put that link up. Is it tabletopsimulator.com?
1: I don't know. Oh, uh, you, you'll, you'll have to download it, tabletop simulator is a whole thing you have to download. And it's not just my game. There's like a ton of board games on there. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. Uh, my game just happens to be on that one, but you can also go to curmudgeongame.com and find uh, different platforms to buy the physical copy on and stuff too. All
2: right. And we will provide those links on the, on the show notes as well. Cool, awesome! Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah, how was it having your first normie (laughs) on? An unexpected normie here.
2: Unexpected. I hope I wasn't boring. (laughs) No, Uh far, far from it.
1: I I was already telling you that I feel like sometimes I have no right to be a comedian because I I don't have uh, a huge struggle. Now I feel like I have no right to be on this podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, like, in my spir- spiritual practice, uh, there's balance in everything. I think if the comedy universe was just a bunch of broken people and mm. we didn't have, like, normies like you to balance out the universe, I think would be in, like, chaos and disaster.
1: <laughs> yeah. My sister said something. My older sister said <laughs> something really nice to me recently. She was like, you know, different people are good at, different things and, and people have callings, right? And she said, I don't know that comedy is your calling. What I think your calling is, is bringing joy. You are somebody that expresses joy and tries to share joy all the time. And that's what your special ability is not being funny. just be being funny is one of the ways I get to spread joy so I thought that was like that was one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me so oh
2: that's so fitting it does fit yeah it does fit like just uh the the times that I've met you in the comedy scene it's like yeah yeah, you are joyful, and then with this game that you created, like just joy and li- little things. Like keep it up, keep spreading joy on a budget. Thank you.
0: I, I think like I'll name doing that. It.
2: I think I'll <laughs> just name that. I think this episode is going to be called Grant Lion, Joy on a Budget.
1: Hey, I'm I am all for it. I'm here for that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah. Oh okay, yeah. You be well. I'll talk to you later. Thank
0: you. All right.